Dynasty podcast. Tony Rittman is an author. He wrote the book NYHC. And he uh, wrote the book Straight Edge. And he wrote a book about Detroit hardcore as well. And I think I hear Tony on the phone. Tony, is that you? I am here. Let me just uh, get hooked up to my uh, iron lung. We'll be good. Hold on. Get that iron lung going on. Uh, well, you know, I was just finishing my last cigarette in it. No, I, I was just getting uh, the microphone and all the hey, hey together to make sure it all sounded No okay. one told you you're not supposed to smoke in those things. Ew. It's not what my dad told me. Uh, hold on. There's something How wrong quaint. Here. Iron Lung, what a quaint idea. Did they come back with the age of COVID, I wonder? Probably. They're what, probably back. Iron Lung? Yeah, they're probably back and better uh, than ever. Yeah, but they're like, they have a vintage look. You can buy them in the back. It's, like it's very, image, uh, it's steampunk. It's steampunk. That's what it is. <laughs> exactly. Steampunk. So the yeah. third book I didn't mention is called Why Be Something That You're Not? Detroit yeah. Hardcore 1979-1985. Is that the latest book? No, that was no. my uh, that was my first venture. Oh Jesus, uh, I got it all wrong. I already fucked up with the guest. This is embarrassing. Nobody's listening. All right, well that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I I had to come out of an upbeat song and do a dead dog dying dedication, and no one got me the photos <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to see that I asked for Ooh. last week. Is Don on the phone? No, Tony's on the phone. Tony Redman. Uh, is with us and uh, Tony I met uh, many many moons ago when do we first cross paths I'm gonna put the onus on you I think you know when I did have a brief uh, brief time at FMU I would I would see you from across a crowded room <laughs> no, I would our I'd eyes know, would meet next thing yeah you know. and I'd be like were you in the nihilistics and you'd be like you run <laughs> but uh, no I'm kidding I, I knew who you were and I you know we were we were in the same rooms and all that, but did we, we chat? never spoke. We, I'm we sorry? never we never spoke. Why not? Was I being stand standoffish? No, that was the name I was using. <laughs> I back mean, then. no, 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 no. I just no. listen uh, for writing all the books that I do and all the what have you. Like I give people their space. You know what I mean? Like I knew your, I knew your history. <laughs> I was just like. That dude wants to talk about it. He'll talk about it eventually. And you did when um, I reached out to you and asked if you wanted to be interviewed for the New York Hardcore book. And that's how we met. Yeah, we uh, we got together and we sat down in uh, for an afternoon and you uh, interviewed me Correct. for the book, for the chapter on uh, the nihilistics. They got their yes. own chapter in that damn thing. You sure did. Was there anybody... And, and well damn deserved, by the way. <laughs> anyway. By the way, what was the decision to do that? Why give us a chapter when... I, I mean, I, I feel like we are, dare I say it, the hair-lip stepchild of the MYHC scene. Although maybe that's even worse. You know, I was talking to Jack Rabbit <laughs> last week. Maybe it's yeah. them, but... Uh, both of us, by the way, both bands on the New York Thrash cassette, which I think is a pretty good primer, as the English call it, to suss out what was going on back in 81 and 82. So why give us, why give the nihilistics a chapter? I, what? Why? I, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that, Chris. Um, well, think of something. Uh, we try. we so got about 40 just, minutes to go. Can we kill. just sit here? <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, just sit here. No, sit. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess I can only uh, come from the personal angle of it. You know, the nihilistics, uh, when I was little, 
believe it or not, my brother had nihilistic records and it intrigued me. So, but then um, that, you know, as a kid, that was the first thing I knew as far as what would be hardcore from New York. And then I found out about, you know, all the Gnostic Front, Chromags, et cetera. Mm. But to me, I mean, I wouldn't say I, I was the sharpest tack in the drawer as a child, but to me, like, I would hear that Nihilistics record and just the vibe of it and be like, yeah. Like, when I heard, like, bands that probably you've never, you never probably care to hear. Mm. <laughs> uh, like, bands like Raw Deal and Sick of It All, I was just like, oh, this is the Nihilistics, just because it's that, like, I'm a fucking pissed off working class stiff like and i i can't get ahead like and and life blows <laughs> and uh i think that you guys I th- uh, you know i don't know how you want to take it but you know i think you guys uh lay the bedrock for that kind of bud we laid the bedrock for i don't know some damn thing i mean i remember thinking back then that um we had one of the better bands out there in terms of our commitment to an ideal. Now, the ideal might have been death and, and mayhem, but it, we were at least committed to that ideal. Yeah. So that's how we ended up in the book, NYHC. And I, I didn't give the full title. Full title is uh, New York Hardcore 1980 to 1990. Mm-hmm. Did you, and not to focus too much on the nihilistics, did you hear from anybody else who was like, hey, why do they get a chapter? Please say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you're not going to get the answer you want. If anything, you know, I I, I think most of the people, uh, hey, I'm not even going to bother to text you this. I shut off my washer, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, Thank anyway. you. Uh, nihilistics. No. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, people were like, whoa, you put a nihil Like, it was almost like, I guess this guy might know what he's doing, which, <laughs> ooh, fooled you suckers. But, um, yeah, I think most people are like, oh, well, that's cool. I remember Paul Bear thought it was cool and, you know, other bands. Like, other people flipped through and were like, yeah. Because, again, you had there was a bedrock there. It might not have been what everybody wants it to be or whatever. But, you know, even worse, nihilistics, misguided. Better for worse, whatever people might think of those bands, that's that's the that's the starting point, you know. Well, thank you for saying that, because uh, there is. I was I was talking to Jack Rabbit about this last week. There's a lot of uh, stuff happening right now. A lot of people who have decided to try to make a living out of podcasts about mm-hmm. punk rock and hardcore and oh, yeah. the hardcore scene that oh, yeah. erupted in the 19, early 1980s. And some of those people are better at it than others. Some of them you could say, have a legitimate claim to doing that. I've reached out to a number of these people to say, hey, I'm available if you want to talk to a founding member of the Nihilistics. Never hear back from any of them. And I have a lot of stories to tell. I have a lot of stuff to illuminate. I'm articulate. Sometimes I even smell good. (laughs) And and so far nobody i feel like i'm lost in the early history of the band and because the band is still going and still around they don't think of me and and by the way mike uh nicolosi's dead bass player is mm-hmm. dead yeah troy's still with the band ron is still there yeah. um but my i feel like my place in that whole thing is is lost is that is that a fair feeling you think or am i just Am I your fucking therapist? What do you want? No, um, Uh, absolutely, yes. For uh, right now, you are. You feel free to bill me. 
Okay. For this. Let, hold on. Let me put the end of my glasses in my mouth and and, cra- and like you know suck on one of the at, temples. Go yeah, ahead. look at you, kind of like huh. Um, hmm. So, are you? Yeah, are you lost in the history? Probably, but it's also probably because you had you were like you moved on to do other things. You know, you don't you don't have to come back and be like I'm bringing the band back together. Or, you got your own shit to do. You got your well, own life. You, see, you moved on. <laughs> as a very experienced interviewer, I asked you that question to set up my next question, which God, is, God. which okay, is, clear. are there people who are staying too long at the well, perhaps? I mean, should they have maybe folded yeah. up their tents by now? That's or? up to the, I don't care. That's, no. Please uh, that's say yes. To, no, Absolutely. well, let me, let me give a, a nuanced answer. How's that sound? What is that I doing think, on this show? Nuance. Um, they were like a, they were a seventies crop rock band. They were a little fusion. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I managed to make myself laugh sometimes, but anyways, I like that. Uh, that was a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was talking about. Here's the um, way I would have done no, that. Well, here's Here, what, here's I'm the way here's I w- what I'm saying. I think the people that, the people that stuck with it, man, good for them. Like, do I want to hear their, their, you know, the, the records that they make now? Hmm. Probably not, but I give them a fair shake. I listen to them and evaluate it in my head. Like, I don't know. Like, there are certain bands that I will give respect to because they never, they never went anywhere. You know, they might have uh, tried on every hat in the room, if you get what I'm saying. But, but it was genuine to me. What I think you might, where you and I are, what you're, uh, what you're trying to, the, the corner you're trying to push me into here. Is the people that, yeah, like, say they had a band in the same time frame that the Nihilists were around, or maybe a little later, right? And then they go, yeah, I'm kind of bored with this kind of paddle thrashy thing. Like, let's go metal, or let's just sound like Guns N' Roses, or let's just keep the name of this band, but do something completely out of fucking left field. And then, and have the attitude the whole time, like, you kids are still playing that dumb hardcore? This is what we're doing, and we're smart. And then uh, nobody liked what you were doing because that's not what anybody wanted. And we were dumb, myopic, hardcore kids. Our brains were peas. Like, we didn't want to hear your new crazy jazz odyssey, like your version of the jazz odyssey. You know what I mean? So you went away, you crumbled apart, and whatever. We all grew up. And now all of a sudden you show up, like, acting like you didn't put out, this, the, you know, whatever, the, the mature core record. Not even mature core, like, but whatever. Your, your shitty rock and roll record with the name of the punk band and you're going to be like down for life we were always here like that's when i'm like do you think no one's paying attention like did we all just walk in off the street with and blindfolds were pulled off our fucking heads like um i'll I'll throw that into your court (laughs) well it's interesting to hear you say that because it's something i haven't revealed before really uh this is an exclusive here on aerial view but one of the things that led to the dissolution or, or me leaving the nihilistics, not that uh, too many people care, Tony probably cares, um, Barely. <laughs> is that there was this decision to go in more of a quote-unquote metal direction and right. bring on a second guitarist. Mm. And the second guitarist was somebody who played a BC Rich Warlock. Nice. And that is one of those pointy guitars. Yeah, I, that know, I know exactly the guitar you're talking about. I'm, yep. Tony, I'm explaining for the audience who may not know. I have a problem with audience. that, actually. Someone, actually, it's funny. Somebody actually told me that today. Like, you got to stop doing that. So 
Yeah. I now that I've done it in front of you and eight people listening, <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I'm, Carry on. Sir. I'm mansplaining what a BC Rich Warlock is. It's a pointy <laughs> guitar that if you fell, it might impale you. So be careful, kids, when you're playing your BC Rich Warlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember a couple of times we rehearsed with this second guitarist who was supposed to bust out these incredible leads, and he was okay. He wasn't like the greatest lead player I had ever seen. And I remember thinking to myself, this is never going to work. I fucking hate this. <laughs> this does not have. This won't play in the sticks. <laughs> so now I gotta, I gotta play second banana in the band that I started. Right, yeah, right. Isn't yeah, yeah. that great? Because the origin story of the band, and I've, <clears throat> if you're listening to the show any length of time, you've heard me mention this. I was in a cover band called Cobra. I started playing guitar when I was 13. When the band Cobra, Cobra broke up, uh, my friend Mike, who uh, wanted to uh, be in a band, convinced me to help him learn how to play the bass. And we would go down in the basement of my mother's house and, and come up with songs like Grandmas Are Made for Kicking. That was one of that was one of our big ones, and before long we had kind of a band. We couldn't find a drummer. We couldn't find a singer. We kept trying different drummers and different singers. Nobody worked out. Eventually, it did. We found Ron and Troy, and eventually, I came up with the name of the band. I dubbed the band the Nihilistics. So I have a lot of ownership. See, and. Um, well. Yeah, I think the big question is, did Grandma's Made for Kicking get moved into their Nihilistics repertoire? Oh, if only. I wish it had. I really oh, do. I, wish... I, I was hoping you were like, yeah, it's on our first practice tape, and I'm going to play it to you right well, we now. Well, <laughs> we used to take a Panasonic, what they call a Panasonic shoebox yep. recorder, yeah, I remember. Yeah. and we would ha I would hang it from the ceiling. It was a low ceiling in the basement, so Mike and I could stand around it and sing and play into the tiny little condenser microphone. And somewhere those cassettes have been lost to time. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I, Mike got them and now they're with his family. I, I know I don't have them. I have early tapes. I have early tapes. And maybe one of the things I, I'll, I'll do when I start digitizing everything, Tony, is I'll try to find that song just for you. I'll make it available as a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> the Tony Retman special. I want to mention, uh, by the way, Tony's got a whole Substack thing going on at, at mm -hmm. retman.substack.com. Yes. R-E-T-T-M-A-N.substack.com. I really love his writing. Um, I really like the last thing that you wrote, Just Shut Up and Enjoy for once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like everything you write. I really do. I, I appreciate your writing. And uh, I went and became a subscriber today. You did. So I appreciate that. Everybody should. And um, please go again to redman.substack.com. But uh, why in particular did you decide to hone in on not only MYHC, but Detroit Hardcore and Straight Edge? Was it because nobody else was telling these stories or because you wanted to tell them yourself? Uh, well, initially, first and foremost, you know, I, <laughs> I wear a... Uh, I wear a train conductor's hat, but don't have any trains, if you get what I'm saying. So uh, uh, it's all about, like, I want to know all the information on all this stuff that I've know, wanted to know for years. And if that gets me, like, if I have to give everybody else that information to get mine, then I'll do a book. Do you get what I mean? Like, as long as it legitimizes me going into people's houses and going to their basements and going through all their old shit. You know what I mean? So, right. um, so you wanted to excavate this history and you thought a perfect excuse is I'll write a book because otherwise I'm just sitting in people's living rooms interviewing them. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like me with this podcast. 
right? Yeah, me talking to. Uh, I'm talking to. Am I talking to a pencil right now? No. I just committed. Um, I just committed a mortal sin. By the way, I call this thing a podcast. It's not. It's a live radio show. It goes out uh, live every Friday, six p.m. Eastern, on thehoundnyc.com, and then it becomes a podcast at Amazon mm-hmm. Music and Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. So it's. I always think of it as a live show first, but. That's how much reading I've been doing lately about podcasts. And and that's where this explosion of discussion about this uh, particular era is now taking place. How many times have you been asked to be on somebody's podcast at this point? Well, actually, I've uh, not in a long time, actually. So uh, I kind of kind of faded away or at least I thought I did or I don't know. Uh, I didn't I wasn't as uh, my I don't know. I, with that New York hardcore book, all of a sudden, like, uh, people ask me to, you know, write for certain publications, and I don't know. I was getting all these crazy offers to do, being flown to L.A. to host podcasts and whatever. It was all fleeting. It ended. It, it crashed and burned. It ended in <laughs> tears? Uh, it ended in... Um, tears and recrimination. It, it ended at Del Taco, actually. Wow. Anyway, sorry, I'm kind of right now. So anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. What 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 kind of offers were you getting? Were people saying, "Let's turn this into a podcast. Let's turn this into a movie. Let's figure out how to make a documentary." Well, yeah. Well, initially, someone approached me with um, asking to do a fictionalized version of the New York Hardcore book, which, as you would imagine, that project, I I was like, "You do whatever you want. (laughs) Like, give me money. You can do whatever you want, but." I don't see this going anywhere. Um, but then there was a film that came out in, oh, let's see, 2016. It was called Green Room. And uh, it was a movie about, like, it was a horror thriller movie about, like, a hardcore band on tour. And they, um, whatever, they play, they mistakenly play some kind of Nazi militia place in Oregon. And they get held hostage. And it's it's pretty. It's, oh, it's, it's called Green Room. That movie, yeah, Green Room. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So to promote that, uh so, you know, it was one of these things where I got a random email one day like, hey, um, we have this – I'm from A24 Entertainment. We have this show called Green – we have a film coming out called Green Room, and we have this idea uh, to do a series of podcasts called Green Room Radio where we want someone to sit down with, like, you know, the biggest names in hardcore punk and find out, like, their bad tour story since the movie – that's what the movie revolves around. And – uh I was like, um, oh, I was like, uh, okay, um, you pay me? And they went, we pay you and fly you and put you in hotel. And I went, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. I got flown out there and um, I, I interviewed like Keith, uh, Keith Morris, Morris uh, Todd Youth, rest in peace. Um, Mike Judge, I don't know, a whole bunch of people. Like it was all like a blur. It was a, it was a block of recording it in one week and then they just dispersed them, you know, over the months. Um, and it, you know, I met, uh, I met, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, the, the long hair, the guy who sings, uh, the guy who sings in what band, which band? Not band. Yeah. Like, uh, the guy who, uh, forget it. Two he's words, like a, he's like a, he's like a like. woman. He's like a guy that like in the nineties was like really big with like housewives. He had long hair. Michael Bolton. He, that's it. Yeah. I met Michael. Bolton. Holy crap. How did I get that from that stupid clue? Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty I don't good. know how I was like, I sounded like such a moron. Like the guy who sings, you know, yeah, um, that guy, you know, with the voice, the execrable um, but, Michael Bolton. That's who you. Yeah. Were he was, he was recording with like, I don't know, Grimes or something. Like we were in this, 
studio that I was like, why am I, what, why am I here? And then like, they had the glove from the thriller. Like it was ridiculous. Like they had a, they had like the thriller glove on display. And then I walked past a studio that said like Michael Bolton. And of course I'm even like, it's gotta be somebody else. And then we were kind of in the studio where we were about to record and he just kind of poked, he knew the engineers who so just kind of poked his head and he's like, Hey guys, how's it going? And I said, eh, eh, so suddenly you find, you find out that he's the biggest uh, SSD control yeah, fan. In the world. Yeah. He's like, yo, let's talk about neon Christ. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I bet but, Michael Bolton is a lot cooler than any of us would ever give him credit for. Yeah, he's he probably a like great a, guy. He, he seemed like a nice you guy. You know, the douchebags are the ones you never suspect are douchebags, and then the yeah. nice guys are the people you always think are douchebags. The nice people. I shouldn't say guys. Yeah. Uh, unless people, I'm saying it folks. like gender neutral guys, that yeah, version yeah, of yeah. guys. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, it's always – you're always – disappointed when you meet your idols but then maybe if you meet people you can't stand you're like oh, exactly my estimation just went up several notches yeah. never mind i can't stand his music but that's another story entirely yeah uh talking so- with tony redman uh, author of a number of books dissecting the world of hardcore from 1980 to 1990 namely myhc and uh the straight edge book and the book about detroit hardcore um can we talk about the straight edge book for a minute because straight edge confused me when I first learned about it, I thought, okay. why? I thought, why don't these people want to get fucked up? Yeah. Why don't they want to get fucked up? Well, I think it's because you're, you, Chris, you're from an older generation. Um, I think that's it. Is um, I mean, if I can kind of put my little personal story in it, uh, you know, ever my where I'm coming from, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to turn off right now because like, we've heard it before. But I was uh, the youngest of five children. And, uh, I was very, uh, the, the person that was closest to me in age was six years older than me. So I was this really young kid kind of with a window into that seventies, what I guess what people would like pin to like the days to confuse movie or something like that. Kind of like whatever. Yeah. All those cliches, the stoner, stoner muscle car kind of thing. And, um, it seemed, yeah, I guess it's a, my, my, um, siblings were older and I was younger. It, I, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't click with me. It didn't seem like, Oh, when I get older, that seems cool because as a kid, it just seemed like a lot of fucking wasted time. And, and it's just like a lot of brain power wasted. Like, like my sisters would have a party. And then like, if my parents went out of town, then once the party was over, how do we get rid of all the beer bottles? And then, Oh, like, da, da, da. like, I was like, man, this is, and, and, and of course, before that, it's like, who's going to buy the beer for us? And da, da, da. and as a 10 year old, I'm like, this just seems like a lot of work. Like, um, So once my brother started bringing home hardcore records and, you know, the minor threat records, that was all it took, you know, with someone to just say, you don't have to do that. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I kind of thought I had to <laughs> like, um, so yeah, to me, that's, that's what appealed to me. And it was, it was a different generation. I guess, you know, we were still in this hangover of like the drug culture of the sixties. And I guess, you know, at one point for the sixties and maybe early parts of the seventies, the idea of doing um, drugs was like, you're expanding your mind and, uh, you know, um, figuring things out beyond the scope of the average person. And then I guess maybe by the end of the seventies, the eighties, it was just like, we're getting baked. So yeah, 
Well, I like, I like beer. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. I, I, I back used to then, like it too, yeah. When I was 18, 19, and, and getting into the MYHC scene, which we didn't even know was the MYHC scene at the time, I didn't do any drugs. I didn't smoke any weed, didn't do any other drugs at all. I drank beer. That was it. And so I, I would shrug my shoulders and go, what's so wrong with beer? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And by the way, I rarely, if ever, drank to the point of being drunk. That was Mike's job, mm-hmm. usually. <laughs> to drink a case of beer by yeah. himself, an unfri- unrefrigerated case of beer, a warm yeah. case of beer. Uh, did I ever ask you this, like the, the folklore, nihilistics folklore? Is it true that he could like um, vomit directly into a glass? Yes. Yes. Wow. He was a male. He was a male bulimic because when I met Mike, he was the fattest. Oh, why kid. did you have to ruin that? He was the <laughs> fattest kid in junior high. Yeah. He was fatter than me, which was a huge relief. Because I thought I was going to be the fattest kid in junior high. This guy, look at him. And I got there and I remember thinking, oh, there's somebody here fatter than me. Oh, thank Jesus. That's great. And he was friendless because he was fat and he smelled funny. And no one wanted to hang out with him in in the cafeteria at the lunch table. And no one wanted to play with him. And we became friends. And um, one summer, I mean, it was the summer between the end of junior high. Junior high was two years. And the beginning of high school. And when he came back... He was thin, positively thin. And I said to him, hey, how did you lose all that weight? Because as a fat kid, I wanted to know. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, my parents put me on a diet and I changed my eating. And, a, and it turns out years later, and I never made the connection. When Mike would puke on demand, and he would do it in the parking lot of the McDonald's on Montauk Highway, also known as Merrick Road in uh, West Babylon. We would go to the McDonald's and he would eat a meal, big meal, come out and... He would say to me, watch this. And as families were walking in, he would throw up right in front of them. And, and Mike really would do anything for a cheap laugh. That was his way. And it would always make me laugh because he'd see the look on these people's faces and they'd be like, oh, oh, my God. And he trained himself how to just like put his fingers in his throat and vomit. And he would do it on stage. He did it on many stages. He, Yeah, he was able to. But I found out years later he was a male bulimic. Wow. And I don't think he had the corresponding anorexia, but mm-hmm. I know that he would binge and purge, and that's how yeah. he lost a lot of weight. So mm-hmm. kids, don't do that because yeah. it, it'll, yeah. it'll destroy your system. It'll destroy yeah. the, uh, the enamel on your teeth. It's mm-hmm. not a good way to, to live. To yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Eating Go on, Jenny Craig. It's, yeah. it's just, you know. Um, but yeah, (laughs) you know, he, uh, he was kind of an amazing guy in that, um, I, I always refer to him as the booster rocket that got me the hell out of Lindenhurst and got me off Long Island and into what I ended up doing with my life. But he didn't have enough escape velocity for himself. He ended up, uh, you know, being pulled back by his demons. And speaking of, uh, bands on tour, I mean, I wrote up the whole story of what happened when we went to play the show place in Dover, New Jersey. And Mm -hmm. You know, that story doesn't end well and ends with him drunk and us not even playing. And there was a real problem. He, Mike, uh, went through a really bad change after his father died. His father was in a terrible car accident. He lingered in the hospital. Nobody knew. The hospital didn't know he was bleeding internally the whole time. Good Lord. He died, and it ended up becoming this massive lawsuit. They ended up having to sue the hospital. But Mike was at that age where, you know, if you lose a parent, it's really transformative. He was like 16 
right around that time, and he was very close to his father, and, and he went to a very dark place, hence all of those lyrics in all those nihilistic songs. So yeah. I almost feel like Tony's interviewing me. Isn't that strange? They're usually Sorry, fine. I usually, I usually, uh, yeah, I usually turn the tables. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I get the feeling we're kind of starting things and stopping them. So, Well, I want to go back to um, the books and the fact that ever since Please Kill Me came out, the great book that Jillian uh, McCain and Legs McNeil yes. wrote some years yes. back about uh, punk rock. There's been this cottage industry. Everybody now has got a book out about punk rock, about hardcore. Yeah. A lot of mm-hmm. folks in bands have been putting out books. Uh, Roger from Agnostic Front uh, put out a book. Of course, Harley put out his own book. Uh, can you quickly drill down on any of this for me? I mean, are any of these good? <laughs> Should I read the Keith Morris book, which I own a copy of? I, I get so confused because I'm like, not, not all of these books can be good. Some of them. No, suck. you are, you are 100% correct, my friend. Um, and uh, I, you mentioned Roger's book, and I will say that's the only one you need to read. All right. So, because uh, I already read Hardcore. Life of My Own by Harley Flanagan because I had to interview Harley when I was mm-hmm. at Sirius XM. His book came mm-hmm. out and and mm-hmm. I had to remind him that I met him when he was drumming with the Stimulators and <laughs> I don't think he remembered me at all. But after I told him what band it was that I was in, he kind of like perked up a little bit. But okay. yeah, so you uh, you don't give a lot of high uh, marks to the, the writing. And, and I just am talking about the writing. I'm not talking about... Yeah, the history yeah. or anything else, just the yeah, writing. I'm talking about the writing, and and yes, the Roger book is, I would say, and I'm, you know, um, I like I like Roger a lot. He's a nice guy. I'm not trying to blow smoke up his keister or anything, but that is a great book. And and I think the thing was was you're what you're talking about. Like there was this period where just yeah, everybody just started throwing their autobiography out or their, the history of, of, uh, New Jersey hardcore January 19 to February 92. I don't know. Just all this very, like, just everybody's throwing this shit out. And a, like, it makes me think like, Oh crap, did I have anything to do with this? You know? And also like, I want, and secondly, I want nothing to do with this. And that's why I kind of like backed off a little, but yeah, all those books were coming out and I was, you know, whatever I was getting them, getting them to review, and I'm reading through. I'm like, oh my god, this, these are. I know I don't like these, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to pinpoint which ones. That's just petty. But I will say that once I got to Rogers, I was like, ah, oh, like it was. Maybe that was it. it. Was after reading all these kind of like, you know, let me finish my thought here. Um, that Rogers is the best because uh, a very honest. Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't hide the things that I'm sure people think he's gonna hide or something i don't know it's it's very raw it's very honest and it is very well written and you know and again of course when you compare like um the life of a cuban a cuban immigrant that comes to you know comes to like uh you know northern new jersey and goes to lower east side and joins a hardcore band uh that story i guess it's just you know it's obviously going to be easier than this like i grew up in southern california and i just happened stance to be in a band that people care about now and oh look i hit the eight thousand eighty thousand word mark see you later suckers like you know that shit <laughs> makes me sick oh jesus oh my god 
Yeah, there's times I think about putting down the nihilistic story, but telling it as a coming-of-age story that is exactly what I said earlier, this idea of me getting out and leaving in 1984 when I saw the handwriting on the wall. Right. And how it changed my life, but yet, I mean, this person, namely Mike... Not someone you would necessarily admire. There was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot there that was really problematic about the guy. But you know, that's people are flawed and people are human, and they do awful things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they didn't have an impact on your life. They didn't exactly. change your life somehow. So, mm-hmm. and I, I don't really see that story out there. I see a lot of other stories about yeah. whether you know and- life in the van. Of course, uh, you know uh, Henry Rollins has told oh, that, that yeah. story. Well, that's good. And, yeah. You know, there's even a book out now. Uh, Nancy Barrill wrote a book about. Uh, that's a great book. Yeah, it's yeah, really good. about being a woman in that scene. Exactly. And yeah. How hard that was. It's called "I'm Not Holding Your Coat." Yeah. Um, but are we doomed now forever? As these guys, <laughs> as, as these people age, to see more and more and worse and worse books. I don't know. I think honestly, maybe I'm just. You know, I'm not usually hope. I, I usually don't. Uh, I'm not a furnace of hope. <laughs> so. Um, but I hope that that kind of little spurt, you know, that happened a couple of years ago was because I don't think any, quite frankly, other, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to like show favorites. Like I think Roger's book did actually do, do well from what I understand, but like I, maybe those ones just didn't do well. And the people at the publishers are like, well, that was, that you know, was weird. I, <laughs> you know, I, like, then, I'm on Amazon looking at your books. Yeah. And I know I should not be because Amazon blows, let's face it. But I did that for a reason. I wanted to see what its algorithm was suggesting. Right. I read yeah, yeah. after reading NYHC or Straight Edge or mm. the Detroit Hardcore book. And they want me to read Finding Joseph, an oral history of HR from Bad Brains by our oh, friend Howie yeah. Abrams. Now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'm going to order that book. And if I did, I w- again, I wouldn't buy it from Amazon. Fuck Amazon. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Until they come up with a living wage and they unionize, they can go fuck themselves. Even though I'm a customer, in other ways, uh, please, do the right thing. Finally, you richest person in the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm going to read that book. I mean, it, it's weird. The What the algorithm does is it starts telling you, if you like Tony Redman, mm-hmm. you're going to love this. Yeah. And I look at these books and I go, yeah, no. I'm probably, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Tony knows how to write. Right. Mm. Tony can write. mm. And I don't know about the rest of these people. I think this is a a quick buck. (laughs) You think it's a shell game? If I started a publishing company, (laughs) I would call it quick buck publishing. Nice. And I would, you know, approach some of these fart knockers and and have them put out a book. There's got to be some of these bands obviously had a sizable audience and you could probably Mm. sell them wallpaper if you uh, bound it properly. You know? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Oh no! I was just gonna say, like, I do get, <laughs> I do get solicited sometimes. Just random people will just be like, "Hey, I have an idea for a book, and you're the only guy I've, I don't know." Even though they don't know me, they're like, "You're the only guy I know of, like, of <laughs> that wrote a book." And you know, I sometimes if it's an interest, even if it's a subject I don't know about or it falls out of my um, time frame of like when I was into this stuff, I'm still like, oh, that makes me even more interested. Because like I don't know, I guess this stuff might be worthy of a book. But you know, I think what we have to again the hope here is that that these books maybe 
um, helped it like the shift to like, yeah, the shift to just some guy who, um, who had, you know, was part of some weird scene, uh, hardcore scene in the early eighties in Oklahoma or something, just to be like, well, I'm going to put down the history of what happened here in the eighties because nobody else is going to do it. And there's probably some interesting stuff in there because, you know, I'm not trying to, um, I mentioned that band Neon Christ, and actually I was talking to um, a member of that band on the phone a couple days ago because they were from Atlanta, and they were they were kind of like the, um, whatever, the pioneers of the scene there. They were like the, the AOD or whatever you want to call it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the stories he told was just, they were amazing. Like RuPaul worked the door at hardcore shows. The, the Robinson Brothers from the Black Crows were like part of the scene and mm-hmm. da, da, da. And it's just like, well, that's, I'm um, sorry, hold on. That's good stuff. I would read. Yeah, that. that's what I mean. It's like that's interesting. Yeah. I want to know about that. Yeah, I don't. All the other and like you know, all the other stuff. I think, obviously, in the bigger scheme of things, um, I guess not everybody's heard the story, but well, we've listen, all heard I, the story. You know? you know, I know this publisher uh, who I, I I met when I was at SiriusXM. And she and I were going back and forth. I was sending her some of my writing. She was being very encouraging. And uh, she mentioned some of the proposals that she's been getting uh, about, you know, these kinds of music books. I was in a band books. Yeah. And she she actually sent me an excerpt from this, you know, or the, the lead off few paragraphs. And it literally was about this guy like titty fucking some groupie. Yeah. And that's how he decided to start his book. His book was going to be all about the groupies he fucked and the times he got so wasted, he couldn't go on stage. And I'm like, mm. and she, she said like, who really wants to read this? Who, yeah. wh- who does he think wants yeah. to read this? And I, I, you know, the person will remain unnamed, mm. but I am speaking with Tony Redman, who you can find <laughs> on Twitter at SP lullaby and uh, on Instagram at sandpaper lullaby. And again, he's got a substack at redman.substack.com. So uh, please yeah. go there and support Tony and the work that he's doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we declare a moratorium, just like I would love a moratorium on new podcasts because we've we've gone above the two million mark. Yeah, and there's just are we going to get to the point where there's a podcast for every man, woman, and child, or made by every man, woman, and child? I I think we got to draw back just a little bit. Let's just uh, throw about it. I don't know. I think as, as I think as we sit in our homes more and don't I I I be, and we don't interact, but I do think like as we sit in our homes more because of this uh, pandemic, like we we get more and more um whatever, our interests get more and more niche or like our the phases get shorter. So you just, you know, and again, you're talking about Amazon, so like it's something like, you know, uh somebody all of a sudden decides during this pandemic, like I have nothing to do, such as me, uh, like I'm going to get re- like back into the Sopranos again. And then all of a sudden I'm watching that and, uh, you know, I'm ordering dumb t-shirts, and fucking, you know, fucking books and all this stuff. And then a week later, I'm like, what's all this crap on the porch? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I, what I mean is I think, no, no, there's going to be millions of podcasts because as people's interests get more and more, you know, whatever boxed in or niche, you're gonna, there's, there needs to be the podcast for it. You know what I mean? Like, there's podcasts now for, like, old punk labels that even I'm like, really? Really? Like, yeah. Like, and makes you do the old double take. You go, hmm. It who also wants makes to me, listen to that. Yeah. It also makes me think, again, like, now that I think I'm, you know, 
I'm, I'm hot pop baloney or anything, but you know, every once in a while, when I do see like someone kind of like, you know, shake a, <laughs> shake a turd out of the grass and like slap a sticker on it, like classic unearthed hardcore, you know, like yeah. something like that. I'm just like, did I have something to do with that? <laughs> but it's also a matter of having been around long enough that a younger person will come up to kind of like me being like, the nihilistics are great to you. And you're like, <laughs> whatever kid in the way that get out of here not, kid, not, you that, not that attached yeah but in the way of like a kid will come up to me and talk about some band that only put out a demo in like 1988 and i'm like yeah i saw them a couple times pretty good and they're like man they fucking rule like when i hear them i want to kill people and i'm like really huh well maybe i gotta go back and hear that you know and then i go back and i'm like no, 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 I don't know what you're listening to but no it sucked like, then and it sucks now sorry well i wouldn't say it sucked but like like, like yeah they're good like they were a good band but like for some kid to tell me like when i hear them i want to just punch my mom in the face i'm like that's you <laughs> like i don't think that's the song <laughs> like um yeah you want to punch your mom in the face if they uh if you were listening to michael bolton i'm sorry yeah, yeah if you were listening to hey i did a right. callback look at that yeah very call nice back to bolton yeah. Well, why do you need air horns, dude? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a party horn, but it's too late for that. We're almost out of road. I got about a minute left. I've been talking Damn. with Tony Retman, who, again, uh, has his own Substack newsletter that you can uh, join. You can subscribe at retman.substack.com. I did it. Why don't you? Exactly. Find out what's going on with Tony. He's been uh, writing quite a bit. Uh, I would say... Almost every day. You're pretty disciplined. I'm not that disciplined when it comes to the Yeah, program. well, I got nothing. I'm, I'm kind of stuck at the... I'm stuck here at the home here for, for certain reasons. So I, I, gotta, I, I hear you. I yeah, hear I got you. a lot of things. Uh, I, I got I to gotta keep moving or uh, something bad is going to happen, man. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's it. I'm just staying writing and I'm, I'm, I'm putting project. I've got a lot of plates in the air right now, so... Well, listen, yeah. if there's anything that I could help with, just reach out. Let me know because it's always a pleasure jawboning with you for just a little bit. I appreciate your time. and no, it's fun. The books that uh, Tony wrote are definitive and, at this yeah. point. I, all these other wankers who are in that space, fuck off. Yeah. And I, yes. if, I may, if I may put on my ugly checkered uh, sports suit and say you can get all these books from me personally signed <laughs> if you go to sandpaperlullaby.bigcartel.com. I I cut out the middle me. You don't have to go to the publisher or Amazon. I like just, it. I like so it. So you come to me, I sign it, and whatever else you want me to do to the book, I'll do it. And uh, I kiss it, put it in the envelope, send it to you. So, uh, I love yeah. it. Thank you, Tony, for mentioning that, and thank you for being a guest. Nihilistic. Hi. Nihilistic's in a fucking bust. <laughs>